This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We are live, as always, inside the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing. From the roof to the roots of Acadia, and Lafayette Roofing has you covered. All you got to do is call 237-ROOF-237-7663. Hopefully you have a great Saturday morning so far. If you want to call us up, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is wide open. We got plenty of space for you. Right here on this wonderful Saturday morning, getting to be a Saturday afternoon. You say, guess what? There's no real bowl games to talk about. Only thing really worth talking about is what's going on in New York City and also what's going on with the Army Navy game. But we'll talk a little Saints as well throughout this show. But of course, there's other things that we could talk about as well. And one of those things is without a doubt, high school football. We're nearing the end of the road. Today is the final day of high school football in the state of Louisiana. And one game and one game only is really kind of your Saturday night's main event. And I think without a doubt, it is the right thing to talk about. But we'll get to that one in a little bit. Because there's a lot of things that we need to kind of dive into to start off with that. But it's time to kind of give you an idea of what's coming up tonight on the high school ranks, but also give a little recap of what happened last night in those high school games inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Day one in the books, and we start things off with the first game, the Division Four state title game in the Superdome between Watchdog Christian and Catholic High Point Capee. And the fighting Cody shoots is made it to the dome, but couldn't get out of first gear, losing to the Eagles of Wachita Christian 67-22. After the game, David Simino mentioned that Wachita Christian is the standard bearer in Division Four and gave a lot of credit to them. But I think one player in particular you got to give a lot of credit to is the Eagles. Will Fitzhugh, just dude was all over the place, absolute monster. Two interceptions, one of which was a 91-yard pick six, a record by the way. And a touch, he caught a touchdown pass, threw one, and recovered a fumble. This cat was on another level. It was like he was playing a game of Madden on easy mode. Absolutely phenomenal performance from Watchdog Christian. So congrats to them for getting it done. Division Four state champs. Then you look over at the Class 2A state title game. Faraday taking on Manny. And Faraday put up too many touchdowns against Manny for Manny to overcome in a 56-17 loss, and the Trojans really blazed their own trail on the field with 523 yards of offense on only 46 plays. Yes, you heard that statistic correct. 
46 plays, 523 yards. It's a new 2A state title game record of 11.4 yards per play. How about that pro football focus? We're bringing in analytics into this bad boy. And then you look at the Class 3A state title game, the main event that everybody was kind of looking forward to is obviously yet St. James taking on Jennings, a program that is was definitely a true underdog story. And you were hoping they could want to pull off the massive upset one more time to advance and win the state title. But the Bulldogs couldn't get it done, and the Wildcats went absolutely nuts on offense. 51-14 victory. Shamar Smith was an absolute monster on the field. Five touchdowns, threw two, ran for two, and caught one touchdown. That is absolutely amazing. You know, we talk about the Eagles player, Will Fitzhugh. I think Shamar Smith's is a lot more impressive just all the way around. Five touchdowns, and he got it done all on the offensive side. I can't wait to see what that cat does down the road. But then, of course, we kind of look over at the Jennings side of things. It was the Cinderella story came to a disappointing end, losing 51-14. And the Bulldogs head coach mentioned after the game it was a good experience for this program and these players because he's been at it for 31 years and finally reaching this point. So kudos to him and his team for getting there and getting it done and just what heck of a way to kind of disappointing into the season. But I think, you know, Eagles head, Jennings head coach is just saying, hey, like we're, we're fine. We'll get back here down the road. And now we near the final three games of the 2019 high school football season in the state of Louisiana. We start things off with the 1A ball game going to be kicking off around noon. And that is Oak Grove taking on White Castle. Oak Grove looking to complete a redemption story for the ages. Last year they got their hides handed to them by the Kitwood Kangaroos. 41-20 in the Superdome. And this team has been chomping at the bit for another opportunity at a state title. After making it back to the Dome last year for the first time in 14 years. It might not be the sexiest matchup of these three, but it's going to be good. I can't wait for that one. Then you look at Class 4A, the main event in my mind, but it's the, it's right before the main thing kind of gets jump-started. Without a doubt, i got to bring this one up. It is Edna Carr, Ward Easton, kickoff slated for 330, of course. That could wind up changing before too long. We know how this thing goes. It could be a game that is played at, like, 5 o'clock. It's about what time that first game wraps up. But this is probably the game I want to see out of most out of the state title games. It's a rematch of a Week 3 matchup that the Cougars took by the score of 38-12. to And the car beating Warren Easton. Just one heck of a ball game that was in Week 3. Can they get it done in the Dome or do the Eagles fight back and send Carr home feeling just a little bit of heartache tonight? We'll see around 3.30. And then, of course... The game everybody in the Acadiana area is looking forward to. The one that's causing all this. And that is the Acadiana High taking on Destran. Kickoff for that one is set for 7 o'clock. Of course, that could be 8 o'clock. They could be playing till damn near midnight. And this is a main event title fight. And I can't wait. The undefeated Rec Rams looking at another trophy to the case when they take on Destran. I've said it in the past. And I'll continue to say it until I'm proven otherwise. Acadiana is winning state. I said it last week. You know, when it comes right down to it, these guys took Zachary to task in the state semifinal, possibly the toughest opponent on paper out of the last two semifinals. I can't wait 
until this ball game goes down between Acadia and a high and Destrahan. This will be the last game of these state title games. Probably the absolute best one of them all. So hopefully you're enjoying what we got for you on a Saturday morning. And trust me, we've got a fun show coming up for you today. Of course, we're going to kind of talk a lot about the Heisman Trophy. I've got some other stuff we're talking about outside of the state of Louisiana, but I think it's some awesome content to talk about. And of course, I'm going to give you an idea of what we got in terms of the guest list right now. And at 10.30, we got Jacques Doucet joining the program. Of course, he's live from New York. It's not quite Saturday night, but it's like Saturday afternoon. It'll be like almost lunchtime over there. But he'll be talking a little bit about Joey Heisman, as I'm calling him. Joey Heisman, what it's like for him to be out there covering this kind of thing. Because it's a little bit different than what we saw back in 2011. He's a far, far away from Maurice, Louisiana, his native homeland. But some really cool stuff to kind of talk to him about when it comes to the LSU Tigers, the historical context, and even just looking ahead to the college football playoff. We'll definitely do a little deep dive with him. And then at 11.15, we're going to have Bill Wagner on. And, of course, right here on 103.7, the game starting at 1 o'clock pregame, we've got the America's game. And we're talking about, obviously, Army-Navy. It's the traditional game. We're going to talk to him about that. We'll have it right here on 103.7 The Game. Thanks to Westwood One's coverage of Army-Navy, just like we do every year. It's just one of my favorite things of the year. We'll talk to him about it at 11.15. Get an idea. Can Navy snap the three-game losing skid? We shall see. I definitely think they have every chance to do so when it comes right down to it. And then at 11.30, we've got a lot to talk about with our guy Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. We're going to talk to him about what's going on with those New Orleans Saints. Obviously, a lot of injuries have affected them. What's going to happen with those injuries, especially in the front seven, because they have a lot of those that are affecting them, and I think they could wind up being something to just kind of keep an eye on because it could wind up being a very tough road in these next three games. And obviously, we'll probably wind up talking to him about I'm a Sean Payton and I'm a worrying about his freaking meat. We'll talk some about that and also why not just throw this out there. Cut that meat. I think that's just the biggest thing when it comes to the Saints. There's a lot of storylines heading into this Monday night matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. And of course you'll hear that as well right here on Acadiana Sports Station. Thanks to us what once coverage of the NFL. I wish I could do that voice like the guy who does those the the Westwood One voice is absolutely like the best thing about like Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League. Dude's dude's got a phenomenal voice. One day I'm gonna have that guy on. One day I will have this person on. But hey, guess what? If you want to come on the program, our co equipment hotline is open three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. That's three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. So why not join up? Join us and talk a little bit about whatever you want to talk about. Joe Burrow winning the Heisman, college football playoff, the, the Cajuns, Cajun basketball, whatever you want to talk about, it is wide open. We are willing to talk about a lot of different things, so make sure you get in where you can fit in because I've got some spots, obviously, that are going to be occupied, especially with some great, great guests. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and we come back. This show's going to go in a different direction. This show will go towards the President's Cup because something interesting happened last night, and I want to kind of bring it up and just how ridiculous it is. 
Also, it has to do with somebody who people might know, Patrick Reed and his caddy at the President's Cup. Why am I bringing this up on a day like today? You'll find out soon enough right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com, live from the 237 Roof Studios. If you want to call us up, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is open, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. It's open up for a little bit, and then we're going to take a, we'll have Jacques Doucet on the program in about another, let's say, like 11, 12 minutes. That's how we're going to do things here inside, right here on 1037 The Game, the only game in town, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the world of golf. I don't normally dive into it, but you know what? It's the President's Cup, and it's definitely making a lot of headlines, I'd say, for a lot of the wrong reasons. And for once, it's not Patrick Reed making himself look like an absolute idiot, making an ass out of himself. This time, it's his caddy, but it has a little bit to do with Obviously, Patrick Reed, the man that definitely nobody, it seemingly like nobody likes at all. So first of all, it's his caddy this time. His caddy is making the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Reportedly, Kessler Corrine, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, got into an altercation with a fan after the fan said, Patrick, you censored for radio suck about three feet away from him. Of course, it's all allegedly. And then, you know, it made me think about it. Jim Rome talks a lot about having like a list of reasons to go. And last I checked, I think someone telling you or your guy you caddy for that he bleeping sucks isn't on that list of reasons to go. But apparently that's what happened. Kessler was not necessarily happy about it and went after the guy, knocked him down. Didn't like it wasn't like a complete just mugging. It was like, oh hey, I pushed him down and that was it. Moved on from there. Kessler Corrine, you absolute idiot. You do not do that, but you know what? I'll say this. I like what I've seen from Patrick Reed. It's the personality that I think, for a lot of reasons, is missing in the world of golf. We need those kind of happy Gilmore guys. Maybe not beating up Bob Barker, happy Gilmore, but somebody who has a little bit more energy. Because you look at Tiger Woods. I saw a picture last night of Tiger Woods just straight up wearing a pair of shades and just looking like he had just gotten finished with like a hangover or he had a bad allergic reaction to some shellfish the night before in a land down under. But it's definitely, I absolutely love what I see from Patrick Reed, but what he did earlier in the Hero World Challenge is a big reason why a lot of people are talking about Patrick Reed, and it's definitely a lot of it he brought on himself because he was allegedly cheating. And a lot of the fans aren't a fan of him. And sometimes it's justifiably so when you just think about how much Patrick Reed acts like 
almost a petulant child. If you've even like slightly read some of the stuff that was discussed with him, yeah, you can pretty much admit that this guy is a absolute just mess of a person and it just feels like it's never going to get any better, at least from my POV. Maybe other people got a different take on it, but it's just ridiculous to see how much he is caught, how much havoc's been caused by this story. And we're nearing the final day of the action in Australia. They've been there for three days. Maybe just maybe they were a little bit, a little bit tired. But it wound up getting wild with two of the last three matches on the course won by the internationals. And here's kind of how things lie at this point in time. The internationals lead nine to five after day three. All that action kind of wrapped up last night over here. It was yesterday. It's, it's very complicated. Anyway, so you had Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler. They're up three and two against Mark Leisman and Hao Tong Lee and a lot of other interesting matchups. But still, it's crazy to think that also you got tied Matt Kuchar and Tony Finau up against Ben on and Adam Scott of the international crew. It's just like, this is going to be a lot of fun. The final day, no team has ever trailed a final round of singles. Golf has ever won the president's cup. So yeah, it's going to be weird. And you got to think about it. the U S was a three to one favorite entering the event against the international. And now they might be out of it. And then a quick little update about them. Uh, the Patrick Reed story because I feel like this is interesting just to bring up, is the caddy for Patrick Reed, we're talking about um, Kessler, he is not going to be participating in the final session of the President's Cup after being involved in an altercation on Saturday at Royal Melbourne that a source said involved him punching a fan after the match, and the PGA Tour announced that after the dual session on Saturday or Friday night over here in the States. That's going to be interesting to see what happens not too long from now, whenever the final sessions does go down, because you don't necessarily have like a backup caddy in this sense. Maybe you have somebody in mind, or you want to getting somebody. I don't know how this whole situation works, because not often you have a caddy go after a player, go after a fan. I mean, and that was absolutely ridiculous. And again, you had him all because of the fact that he said that a fan said you censored for radio suck, like three feet away from Reed. And in the statement that Crane put out is, as a caddy, one of your jobs is to protect your player. And unlike several other sports in golf, fans can get pretty close to athletes. And I agree with that. I think the only other sport you could probably get maybe that close is the NBA and college basketball. Trust me, I've seen it get very, very close. Thankfully, no malice in the palace has happened since 03. And he goes on to say, we have been known for having fun with some good banter, but after hearing several fans in Australia for three days, some had taken it a little bit too far, and he had enough, and this gentleman was one of them. I got off the cart and shoved him, said a few things, probably a few expletives. Security came, and I got back in the cart and left. I don't think there's one caddy I know that would blame me. I'd be interested to hear from a caddy on this one, somebody who's been a caddy. Even, albeit, you know, if it's just caddying, just for the sake of caddying. If you were in that situation, would you ever do something like that? Actually go after a fan in that kind of situation? Because it just is ridiculous. And again, it's all because of the fact Patrick Reed was alleged cheating at the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas. 
because during the third round of the tournament, Reed was assessed a two-stroke penalty when he played a ball from a sandy waste area and was determined to have improved his lie or line of play. And you could definitely say he he did do it. And, of course, he said he didn't, but the video showed and everybody was calling him out on the BS that he was throwing out there. And I absolutely, positively am enjoying the fact that we have a guy like Patrick Reed in the PGA Tour. He's going to be somebody to look at and say, hey, this could be a lot, a lot of fun down the line, having these two and this guy be hated as much as he is. And, of course, you know, the international teammates are wanting the fans to bring the heat with Cameron Smith pretty much simply putting it, I feel like, as best and succinctly as possible when asked about Patrick Reed. He is, let me put, not exactly a – obviously he's not a fan of him, but if there's one thing he's not giving him, it is no sympathy at all. The man has no you-know-what – for a guy like our boy Patrick Reed. He's not a fan of him at all. And if there's one thing he doesn't have for him, it is that word called sympathy. There is no sympathy for a man like our guy, like the man himself. And we're talking about Patrick Reed. Just ridiculous to see everything that's been going on with him over the last few months because he has just become the center of of a lot of negative attention, sometimes it seems justified, but all the hate towards him, I don't think it's necessarily as bad. But again, no sympathy. That's just cold-blooded. You don't get my sympathy at all. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. We'll talk with Jacques Doucet, WAFB, live from New York. It's not Saturday night, but it, it's Under the Dome on a Saturday afternoon. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game. From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros. And everywhere in between, let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one hundred three seven. The game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. It feels like I'm to play this because right now we're going out to New York City. Talk with our guy Jacques Doucet, WAFB TV. He's out there getting ready to see Joe Burrow. More likely than not win the Heisman. He's the prohibitive favorite at this point in time. So right now we go to that Hardco Equipment Hotline. J.D., a long way away from the AOC studios, huh? Yeah, Clint, good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm actually standing at New York uh, City Times Square at the moment and staring up at uh, very, very tall buildings that uh, did not see in either Milton, Louisiana, or Maurice, Louisiana, when I was growing up there in the Lafayette area. So a lot of people uh, walking the streets, a lot of people in the Christmas spirit. Uh, with uh, Santa hats and wearing their pajamas. And uh, it's actually a comfortable day, only about 50 degrees right now, so not bone-chilling cold here in December. So uh, just uh, just really privileged and um, excited to be here for the big ceremony tonight. It definitely sounds like one heck of a way to spend a Saturday morning, Jacques. It's definitely kind of about the same weather here. Not, not too cold, not too hot, so I don't think you're missing too much here. 
do much over in New York City, but you know you were you've covered this program for a long, <laughs> long time with WAV, and you know you were you were part of WAV back in 2011, correct? Uh, I started in 2001, actually. Okay, uh, so I couldn't there, remember. Eight, yeah, 18, 18, over 18 years. So uh, and I spent two years in Alexandria, and uh, when I was in college there at USL, now ULF yet, or Louisiana, whatever you go with, uh, I, I, I interned for two years at KLFY and, and Lafayette. So really kind of working in the media business for over 20 years uh, now. And you just see everything that's happened with LSU. And back in 2011, obviously, Heisman Trophy finalist was Tyran Matthew. But it, it just felt like he wasn't going to wind up winning because you don't often see a defensive player win it. But tonight, it just feels like everything is setting up right for Joe Burr to win the Heisman. How crazy is it to think that you have a chance to have a Heisman Trophy winner and covering him whenever it, just, whenever it was since 1958, Billy Cannon had won the last time an LSU Tiger won the Heisman? Yeah, Clint, um, it, it is really crazy. Uh, you know, I've covered, I've had the opportunity to cover some very special people uh, at LSU, Tyron Matthew included. Um, I've never seen a defensive player impact college football games the way he did, and then on special teams as well as a punt returner. Uh, but we knew he wasn't going to win in 2011, uh, and he came in fifth. And that was, that, I mean, that's, that, that's about as well as you can do. I mean, Charles Woodson did it years back, but. Uh, Steve Schneider, the sports director, came up and covered that. Leonard Burnett was a superstar today. He stepped on campus, I thought, um, in 2015, entering the Alabama game. He was the, the front runner at that point, is, if there is such a thing. Uh, I've been told in the past, you know, there is no such thing as a front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Everyone votes uh, at one time at the end of the year, and that's that. And, uh, and this year, actually, for the first time ever, I was a Heisman Trophy uh, voter. Um, Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate, who runs the uh, Louisiana portion of the voters. I believe there are 20 people in the state of Louisiana who have a vote for the Heisman. And Billy Cannon, uh, a former winner, had a vote before he, he passed away. All the former winners have votes. But, you know, Leonard Burnett, um, he ran into Alabama, and in his season just went awry, and, and he didn't even get invited. Um, you know, Darius guys had some huge games, but he was never really a, a candidate. So, yeah, uh, I mean, when Joe Burrow came to LSU and about halfway through his, his first year, there was certainly a lot of talk that well, this guy may be a little bit better than Danny Etling, but he's it's not like this huge, huge major upgrade. And then, you know, then he started to see, I think I think last year when he threw that touchdown pass at Auburn when LSU was down, that was his first big moment. And then as the year went on and, and, and finishing the way he did in that Fiesta Bowl, when he got clocked and got up and threw for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns, that, that was LSU's biggest bowl win in, since the national championship in 2007 to finish sixth in the country. And you know, this year it's just—I mean—the numbers he's put up time and time again. He hasn't had a bad game. Um, went into Alabama and put up almost 400 yards passing, ran for another 60. Finally, slayed the dragon there. I mean, you can go on and on with the statistics, the leadership, the hit he took against Auburn and Tiger Stadium when he ran. Uh, was running out of bounds and got crushed. I, I, I thought he was going to be down for the count. And the guy just jogs back in like nothing happened. I mean, it's just, it's incredible to hit these, the leadership, uh, the transferring from Ohio State, the grad transfer thing. And, uh, he, he is, uh, he's going to win tonight. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy tonight. He's going to win it in landslide fashion. Maybe the biggest winner since Troy Smith in 2006 or even OJ Simpson back. I think that was 1968 or something. So, uh, yeah, it's been special, without a doubt. Very, very special. 
And then we'll kind of just take it back to the beginning of the year. Obviously, everybody was talking about it for for months on end about this new-look offense, this new-look offense. We heard Burrow talk about putting up 50, 60 points. In your wildest dreams, like heading into this season, did you ever expect this kind of offense to actually live up to the hype and be as prolific as it's been? Because it felt like for years we kept getting sold a false bill of goods as LSU fans. You know, live up to the hype. I mean, score 50 points a game, uh, pass for – what are they passing for? Uh, let's see. Uh, he's at four. They're averaging over 400 yards a game passing. Uh, no, no, not not like that. Um, and, and and really, uh, Clint, all year long it's been the naysayers. Uh, some people would say the haters. It, it, it's just every game it's been like, okay – Georgia Southern, okay, that's Georgia Southern. That's not a real team. Let's see you go do it at Texas in a big road game. Say, go do it there. Okay, well, Texas doesn't have a great defense. Let's see you do it against Florida. Florida's got this great defense. I mean, they got guys, all right, 42 points, uh, whatever. Oh, well, Florida has some guys hurt. Let's see you do it against Auburn. You know, uh, granted, LSU only scored 23 against Auburn, but they put up big numbers and kind of stopped themselves. Well, you're not going to beat Alabama. And, and um, you know, Alabama has set the standard in college football. Uh, without a doubt, five national championships in nine years. But without a doubt, they've got the most arrogant, most insecure, most obnoxious fan base in all of college football. And they jumped into our Twitter mentions all year long. Well, you guys, uh, you'll, you'll get slapped down November the 9th like you always have. You know, you're going to get whipped November the 9th like you always have. And during the summer, LSU, I think, was a 17-point underdog in that game. And for them to go in and win that game uh, the way they did, finally uh, do it. I mean, that was kind of like I've compared it to the U.S. hockey team. They beat the Russians, but then they had to beat Finland to win the gold. Um, that, that was like beating the Russians. And then last week, as far as the SEC goes, beating Georgia was, was beating Finland. And then, you know, Burroughs got another huge game. So, um, he just they've answered the call every game, Clint. The offense has been, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has given them what they need in the, in the uh, rushing game and the receiving game. The receivers, Terrence Marshall, Jamar Chase, the top receiver in the country, wouldn't have avoided the call. Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, the tight end, just across the board. It's been, a, been an amazing offense. And Joe Brady, the wonder kid, the 30-year-old, who's uh, kind of implemented all this stuff from the Saints, uh, gets uh, the assistant coach of the year award as well. Talking right now with Jacques Doucet at WAFB. And, you know, let's just kind of look ahead to the college football playoff matchup in a couple weeks' time, two weeks from today, actually, between LSU and Oklahoma. You just look at the college football playoff in general – They've beaten all three of these teams to win a national title in the past. Obviously, in 03, you had LSU beat Oklahoma the way that they did. What are you expecting out of this matchup? Is this going to be just a high-scoring, like very much a, just a wild affair between the two programs? Well, Clint, from LSU's perspective on defense, it makes me a bit nervous because the last time we really saw LSU struggle on defense was against Ole Miss. John Rice Plumley, the way he was able to uh, scramble and run against that LSU defense. All, you know, granted, LSU was never never in danger of losing the game, but he gave them a lot of problems. And Jalen Hurts obviously can scramble, and, he, and he's improved his passing a lot. When LSU played him twice uh, in 2016, when Alabama won 10 nothing in Tiger Stadium, and then 2017 when Alabama won 24 to 10 in, in Tuscaloosa. So that that makes me nervous. But uh, you, you know, it, it's almost. It's almost you take away the X's and O's and everything, and it just seems like every time I show up to cover an LSU game now, it's like, they're going to win today. I can feel it. They're going to win today. And and that's just kind of the way it's been lately. Um, 
I think LSU won't have that much trouble scoring points. They haven't had trouble scoring points all year. So um, that's, 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 what, that's what I'm seeing in that game. Uh, certainly Oklahoma will have a lot of motivational tools. They'll be able to say, well, you know, LSU won all the big awards. They've got the Heisman Trophy winner. The media loves them. They must be great. They must not think much of you guys. So obviously Oklahoma's got the, the motivation as far as being the underdog, um, you know, being disrespected and all those different things. Um, so they've got that. But I, I tell you what, uh, Burrow and, and this LSU team, they just really seem to be a team on a mission, a team of destiny, and it's really focused to finish the job. And, Jacques, before I let you go, we need to have a little fun here, of course. If we have you on, we need a Jim Hawthorne impression. So, hypothetically, of course, we, the LSU doesn't broadcast the Heisman Trophy presentation from like a play-by-play perspective. But if they did, what would it sound like with Jim Hawthorne on the call? Let's see. Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> I wasn't expecting this. I'm stepping on stage today. All right. Uh, well, Clint, i got to tell you, I've covered a lot of baseball games over the years. And uh, I tell you, my old my baseball games, they just last entirely too long. They're too long. But football, I tell you, this this Joe Boudreaux, who's been the quarterback of the Titans, he's depleting nearly 80% of his passes, Doug. And tonight, New York City, the Big Apple, he will win the Heisman Trophy. Holy cow, goodness gracious, takes a lot. Something like that. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic, Jacques. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Okay, thank you, Clint. All right, that was Jacques Doucet, WAFB, a long way from Maurice, Louisiana, out in New York City, getting ready to see Joe Burrow take the Heisman Trophy. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, at Jacques Doucet. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one. In style, who knows what we'll get into in this next segment. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. If you want to call us up, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. That's how you can get in on the action, get on the discussion right here on the Arco Equipment Hotline. Because I'm just, i got a lot of things to talk about, and but why not open it up to you, the people, if you want to kind of change things up a bit obviously hour number two coming up in the not too distant future 11 15 bill wagner and then we'll have ross jackson all saints considered i'll have my last take of the program before i head up on out of here and go enjoy my weekend hopefully you're enjoying it as well because it's a it's a weird weekend because obviously it's the week before like bowl season and the holidays so it's a little bit of a different kind of like weekend and something I always kind of think about whenever you just look at how things are with football season, because you always have that like week off kind of sort of. If you're if you're a diehard college football fan, this is a great weekend for you because you get to see the Army Navy game, the tradition of it all, and it's just the excitement is building around this one because Navy looks to be a really good program and going to try and snap the three game losing streak against the vaunted triple option of Army because that. That's going to be a lot of fun to see those two teams face off. And then obviously you got the state title games going on tonight. And then next week you got the New Orleans Bowl 
You got the bowl season's getting jump started off right, and I can't wait for that. Because if you know me well enough, if you listened to the producers last year, it pretty much was an entire opening monologue breaking down all the bowl games on on that particular day. I'm bringing that back, and I think it's gonna be the most entertaining segment of all time because I'm gonna. It's just gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun as I'll get out. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, you are as well. But I'll tell you what I'm not looking forward to talking about, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans. I'll, I'll give you a spoiler right, right here. That is my one final take about the Pelicans, and you might have heard it me say it once or twice this week. I'm going to emphasize it and go a little bit long form with it because that's how I want to do things on a day like today. I am telling you right here, right now, I am not a fan of what's going on with that franchise right here, right now. But other things I want to dive into, I've, i i got to say, you know, I was disappointed because I was hoping to get on a guest to talk about the Cajuns La Tech game going on this afternoon because, well, why not? It's like there's not much really going on. I can't be like getting somebody to preview the Cajuns Miami of Ohio game that's on January 6th on a Saturday, December 14th. It's kind of weird to do that. I couldn't get somebody Oklahoma-wise. I would love to get him that particular day on on the game day or close to it because it just feels weird. You know what I mean? But I'm talking about the Cajuns La Tech game. Tough break for him yesterday announcing that Kobe Julian going to miss the remainder of the 2019-2020 season and the Baton Rouge native led all Sunbelt freshmen in scoring and rebounds with averaging eleven with 12.8 points a game and then averaging 5.5 boards per game. The guy is an absolute stud, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with him in the future. Because he's a guy that's got all the potential in the world, but man, it's just tough because he had the he had the left knee injury that happened to him at the end or towards the end of his playing days at Madison Prep. He was still named the Louisiana Class 3A High School Player of the Year, according to LABC. And then he came back, he missed his entire freshman year due to that knee injury. And now he has his right knee injury. It's tough to kind of think about that. Both of his knees are going to be surgically repaired. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. How does that wind up help hurting him? How much does that change the way the Cajuns' like perspective is at this point in time? I think that hurts them a lot. That hurts them a lot. Because you know that he, this guy is probably more likely than not done for his careers. Like his pro career might be very much just done. It's going to be a little underwhelming to see like what happens next for the Cajuns because they're getting closer and closer to start a conference play next weekend. I know they've got the Arkansas State and then the Arkansas Little Rock ball game. They got two games to start off conference play. Then they got a little bit of like a, a gap in between where they play like like a non conference team. Then conference really starts up at the start of the year. It's very confusing. But just looking at the Cajuns overall, you know, good start to the season, but this has just been probably one of the more disappointing parts of it is the fact you lose a guy like that who had a lot of leadership on the front court. I liked what I saw from him in the first few games. I mean, the first game I saw of him, he was out there dunking, and it was just like he had this big, like almost tomahawk fast break dunk in the first game. And I was just like, oh, man, this dude's going to be awesome. He's going to want to put together some great things. But losing him, along with all the other injuries they've been dealing with, I was talking to our guy who I have on throughout college basketball season, Greg Peterson, a couple months ago on his podcast, and I mentioned the fact that the Cajuns have a chance to do some great things, but because of the fact that there's a lot of newness 
around the Sun Belt Conference. You've got some new head coaches. Bob Marlin has always shown himself to be at least somewhat like he can get things done to a certain point. It's going to be an uphill climb with all the injuries they have and then this one thrown out there as well. I think this one hurts a lot more than some of the other ones because I think Kobe Julian is such a great talent. I saw him just – he looked fantastic in his first few games at home and then obviously he has the injury, sits out of the Arizona State game and they get the worst news possible. He's undergoing surgery early next week, so it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. I've mentioned that in my two-minute drill ad nauseum because it's such a big story ahead of a game against La Tech. A, a team last year, if I'm not mistaken, I could be like a little bit off here, but if I'm not mistaken, the Cajuns lost to La Tech and then lost one of their big guys in that ball game at the Cajun Dome. And that kind of was the catalyst of, I believe that was when they lost Malik Marchetti, and lost Malik Marchetti eventually for the entire season. That is going to hurt them a lot. I think this is a guy that's going to be a lot like what Malik Marchetti was. Losing him for the bulk of conference play is not the way you want to go. I think that's going to be a tough road for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as this like next couple weeks progresses. And what's, what's going to happen next? It's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I am not sure how things are going to go. I don't I don't know exactly how it's all going to go. But I will say this. The Cajuns have to figure out who they are, figure out their identity, because I don't know what kind of identity they have at this point in time, where things are, where things stand with the Cajuns without a guy like Kobe Julian, you don't have a like you have a number of injuries hitting this team. It's gonna be tough. And you know, one of the big things I, I was talking with Blaine about yesterday when he was filling in for Ben is the fact that you have like some people maybe saying, you know, the big fish as some people call him, he's on the hot seat. I think the fact you have all these injuries kind of takes that hot seat away. Because you don't know the potential that you could have had if the, all these injuries didn't happen. All these injuries aren't his fault. It's just the nature of the beast sometimes. That's kind of my big take on the injury. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, give you an idea of what's on tap this weekend. And trust me, there are a lot of things going on this weekend. So hopefully you can keep up. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Spread in the news. Hello, has been today. 
I'm gonna be a part of it. New York, New York. Welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadian Sports Station 1037 The Game. Live as always inside the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing right here with my buddy Coach Foe. Man, you looking forward to what's going on with those Tigers, especially Joe Burrow winning the Heisman? Oh, boy, I've been waiting for this my whole life. After Billy Cannon won it back in 1958, I heard all those great stories. I wasn't around back then. Yeah, I know, Coach, but what is it like for you to see your guy, Joe Burrow, or as I'm calling him, Joey Heisman? Oh, it's great, T-Boy. Joey Heisman all the way, man. It's going to be fantastic. You know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him hold that trophy, and more importantly, we're going to hold that Tiger. I mean, Thursday night, obviously, everybody all over the place was looking forward to basically you all taking care of business and securing the back. It's amazing to see how much things have changed in the last year. Oh, man, so much has changed in the last year. Obviously, we started off the year beating UCF, and we're going into the year beating Oklahoma and getting that much closer to the national title. Are you okay with the game being on, like, January 13th? Would you much rather it be January 6th? Uh, you know what? I'd much rather be January 13th. We have extra time off. We can enjoy ourselves. We can ring in the new year the right way and have a good time eating some great crawfish and go Tigers. I agree with you, Coach. Hopefully everything goes the way you want it to be. And Thursday night, I mean, LSU was sweeping the awards left and right. What is that like? Oh, man, we were getting every single award. It was amazing to see how many awards LSU won. They won damn near everyone. I think if Joe Burrow played special teams, he would have locked that down. He would have held that Tiger and hold all the titles. It's, I'd, I'd probably agree with you. probably want to win the Ray Guy Award if he was a punter. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, man, I'm just, I, I think we're all just looking forward to seeing what's going to go on with the LSU Tigers in the national title picture, Heisman Trophy tonight. How excited are you to see Heisman Trophy Joe Burrow? And more importantly, do you think Joe Burrow is going to be like Eli Manning and not want to go back home to Ohio? He's like, you know what? I want to play for the Saints. Oh, man, I'd make you so happy because I used to coach back then. Like, I, know, I know, Coach, but you know, what is that like to kind of think about like Coach Foe wanting to see Joe, Joe Burrow, Joey Football, out there playing in the playing for the black and gold just in terms of Louisiana? Oh, man, that's amazing. If only, if only LSU could have him for one more year because I think we could win multiple national titles with him at the helm. Coach, I mean, we we got we got to kind of move on from here. So I'm gonna let you kind of get out of here. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I'll talk to you later tonight because man, we're gonna have a lot of fun watching the LSU Tigers hold that Tiger and hold that Heisman Trophy. But without further ado, we're gonna give you an idea of what's on tap this weekend right now. Besides what's going on with Joe Burrow. <laughs> The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. All right, it's time to kind of give you an idea of what's on tap this weekend. And we got a lot of things on tap. I think the biggest thing, without a doubt, is the Heisman Trophy. But we talked about that a lot in depth with a guy, Jacques Doucet. And coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk with Bill Wagner, talking a little Army-Navy game. I think that's the biggest thing that's on tap today. Because the fact that, you know, it's America's game. It's tradition and pageantry. It is possibly the coolest thing that goes on in that, like, little dead zone between college football's regular season and championship Saturday ending, and then you get into bowl season in seven days. 
I love it. Hopefully you do as well. We got everything getting started off the right way. And I'm looking forward to what's causing all this with the Army-Navy game. You'll hear it right here on Acadiana Sports Station. Thanks to us with one's coverage of Army-Navy like we do every year. I'm looking forward to that. But you know what else I'm also looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a lot. There's a lot of things going on this weekend, especially in the world of combat sports, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it. And tonight it's UFC 245 main event is going to be without a doubt. I think it's almost like it's just amazing to see how things work out for the UFC 245. You got Amanda Nunes being the third to last fight. The co-main event, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, and then Usman Covington, the main event, a welterweight battle. It's a fun card all the way around. Jose Aldo facing off against Marlon Moraes in a bantamweight match. And then what, and this all on the main card, Uriah Faber, Peter Yan. That's some really solid matchups, to say the least. UFC 245, maybe not the biggest card to kind of wrap up your 2019 in style, but it's still pretty darn good way to do it. And the next weekend, they'll have the yeah, Frankie Edgar be in the main event in their UFC Fight Night 155, which or 165, excuse me. But that's not the only thing going on in the world of combat sports, MMA. Wish I had enough time to get our guy, uh, Blaine Henry, on, but not necessarily easy to get him on this show. Just I felt like, you know we got to focus in more on what's going on involving the world of football. But man, pro wrestling as well, getting some big love with NWA National Wrestling Alliance. Going to have their big pay-per-view into the fire tonight. Old school. If you love old school wrestling, this is something you need to kind of check out if you haven't already. Make sure you binge watch at least the last couple episodes of their program, NWA Power on YouTube. It is amazing just to see how much effort's been put in to give it that old school studio wrestling feel. And tonight you got that's going to be I'd say that's going to be fun as all get out. And then of course, you got NFL on Sunday and NFL on Sunday is always entertaining. But I think this week is going to be a little bit less. I think this week might be a little less entertaining as opposed to what we saw last week with Saints 49ers, the Chiefs Patriots, and then wrap it all up with a fun Seahawks Rams game. There's not as many like like phenomenal matchups on paper, at least. You got the Patriots and the Bengals and all the cheating that was going on. I don't know why you're cheating when you're preparing for the Bengals, but you know whatever floats your boat. You have the old school traditional rivalry of Bears and Packers as a noon game. That's okay, I guess. I mean, is Chicago back? Is the million dollar question? I feel like every other week we ask that question. And then obviously, there's outside of that, there's not a whole lot of like meat on the bone, in my opinion. Are you going to root for the Atlanta Falcons and 49ers? Are you going to root for Atlanta taking on San Fran? I think it's easier said than done. And then the Sunday night game, Bills Steelers. Bills are just amazing right now, and it's it's weird to think about the fact that the Bills are eight and four, the Steelers still control their own destiny at this point, and it's something you just don't realize. Currently eight and five on the year, and this is a game where they could very well get into contention and win, and start vault, vaulting themselves upward. Of course, you need some other things to happen. But in the playoffs in today, you'd have the Patriots, the Chiefs, 
the Ravens and the Texans all in, and you and you and you then you'd have the Bills and the Steelers eking it out. But of course, you got to wonder what's going to happen with the Colt with, with the Titans because they're eight and five right now, and you got the Texans Titans game that's going to determine a lot as well. So there's not quite like the marquee matchups like we saw last weekend, but there's still some meat on the table if you love like keeping an eye on different stats and facts and whatnot. It's going to be fun to see what's going on with the NFL. But, of course, Monday Night Football is what everybody's looking forward to. Colts Saints. That is a marquee matchup. But, man, it just feels like it's tough to predict, especially with a lot of the injuries to the front line that the New Orleans Saints have suffered on the defensive side of the football because you're without Marcus Davenport. You're without Sheldon Rankins, possibly without Klein, possibly without your guy, and I'm absolutely just flabbergasted. Kiko Alonso, who's had a great season at this point, you have to rely on guys like Shy Tuttle, Trey Hendrickson to step up in a big way if you want to wind up locking it down and securing the bag in this big ball game. That's the biggest thing that's on tap for a lot of people because the Saints are pretty much going to be secured as a top three seed. But you want to see the Saints lock down that number two seed or the number one seed. Get you a bye. And you guarantee yourself just one home game and one on the road. Because I think if you go on the road, especially, let's say, they'd be the, they'd be the three seed. If I'm not mistaken, they'd probably be facing off. I'd have to kind of look at the, the standings off top of my head. They would be playing, I believe, they would be playing probably the Seahawks or even the Vikings at home. And then you'd play probably... And it just depends how things work out. You could very well be playing even the Packers or something like that because they're the number three seed. I just don't know off top where things stand in terms of the playoffs. Obviously, Saints have clinched the NFC South by a by a wide margin because well the the excuse me the NFC South is an absolute dumpster fire. The Buccaneers, Patriots, and Falcons are all awful, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Quinn is the next one to go. Then it's just a whole new world of the NFC South. You can see a lot of things change in the distant future in the, in the South. I'm just saying. And then obviously, you've just got to figure out where everybody else lies at this point. You're obviously going to wind up being either one, two, or three seed. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the NFC East is absolute dog crap with a six and seven Cowboys and Eagles tied for first place. And then you look right below that, three and ten Washington Redskins, 2-11, New York Giants, and Eli Manning getting ready to hang it up before too long. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we'll get our guy Bill Wagner talking a little bit about the Army-Navy game. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Having a little trouble getting our guy Bill Wagner aboard the Artco Equipment Hotline to talk about the Army Navy game. And my goodness, I'm I'm kind of upset because I was hoping to have a great conversation with him talking about that that tradition and the pageantry. Had him on last year. Absolutely enjoyed spending like 10 good minutes with him previewing the ball game. Looking forward to what's on tap for Navy going forward because obviously they have a fantastic record. What's going to happen next, we shall see. But outside of that, it's like I'm, I'm just a little disappointed. I was hoping to have him on the program because I don't have like that much else to really dive into outside of the Saints Colts, but I'm saving that with our guy at Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked On Saints podcast. I got some Pelicans take as well towards the end of the program. But, you know, I think I've got a couple ideas to kind of dive into here. And, of course, I'm going to recap what I was talking about earlier in the show, some big headlines. I think, obviously, everybody's just looking at Joe Burrow and the Heisman Trophy. More like he's winning this bad boy. I don't care what you say. He is locking this thing down. Pat, looking forward to it. The President's Cup going on right now. That's going to be wrapping up today. And, obviously, Patrick Reed and his caddy, making things a little bit more entertaining. High school football, state championships, they're getting underway. Last night they had three games. Tonight you got the final three of the 2019 season. And they're all really good Just when you look at it. Oak Grove taking on White Castle. It's not the sexiest matchup, but Oak Grove looking to redeem themselves after losing to Kentwood last year, 41-20. to And then out of Carl Warren East, it should be a lot of fun. That's the 3.30 game. I know that one I'm looking for. That's probably the one I want to wind up watching a lot more. And then you got Acadia and Destrahan kickoff slated for seven. Of course, it could be much later. It's a title fight. Undefeated record Rams could be taking on Destrahan. I can't wait for that one as well. That's going to be a late night, t- late night kick. But still a really fun weekend of, of high school football wrapping up. In a high note, and of course, last weekend we had some of those division, those non-select schools. But I'll say this: I think I wouldn't be surprised, especially once the calendar flips over to January when they have these meetings, because rumor in your window is saying that we're going to see the LHSA set up shop and kind of start making things right and get this thing back together, because I believe that what happened. Just a few months ago, it's it wasn't working. What they have in place, it's not great. It, I think you'd imagine how weird it is to see, you know, the way things were, especially in the division playoffs. You had only one school played the Superdome, and that was Catholic High Point Capi. And that was last night's game between Catholic High Point Capi and Watchdog Christian. Now you look at it, you've got every chance to see all these teams start getting back to the Superdome, and we see the select-not-select split finally end. Because it was weird. We had LCA play at Cajun Field on Saturday, and you had the the STM Cougars playing at home in the state title game. That is very much not what you want, and it's it's not a great look for the university. It's not a great look for the LHSA. It's not a great look for them at all, because it just makes them look a little a little small time having a state title game there. And of course you had Catholic High and Rumble squaring off inside 
Yeoman Stadium, again, really cool environments, but it just doesn't translate well as opposed to when you're playing a game inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. These kids should all be playing inside the Superdome, bottom line, straight-up fact. And everybody wants to complain about the system that's in place, and I, I get it. I get it. This play, the system needs to be fixed. Is it's t- it's past time for this like board of supervisors or whatever you want to call it to change the way things are now? Because I feel like we're just we're at the beginning of this thing possibly being split up in a big way if what happens with those meetings next month goes awry. And of course, I'll try and get somebody on to talk about it. Because without a doubt, that's probably the biggest storyline that everybody's going to be looking forward to in 2020. Because I think that's such a just a huge story. Is there's apparently three proposals in place, and if we wind up seeing one of those three proposals pass, maybe just maybe this whole thing gets back together, and we can finally stop complaining about how there's like teams that are 0 and 10 on the year in the 1A playoffs and there's a bye week, and there's so many complicated things. We can finally get everybody back together and have 5A, 4A, 3A, 2A, and 1A, at least in the football aspect. And then you obviously get Class B and Class C type programs in basketball, baseball, softball. You can actually start focusing more on and have it have it mean something again because I think that's what a lot of people are complaining about and have complained about for months. Is that the high school football playoffs haven't meant nearly as much as they did in the past? And I agree wholeheartedly with every single person who said that to me or anybody who said that on this program. But you know, I'm gonna agree with what Danny's been saying and pretty like a broken record is talking about how they're playing a system. These kids are playing under the rules that adults made made is wasn't that they weren't under consideration by the kids. I'm like. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's time to kind of get this thing back together the way it needs to be because it's frustrating. It's frustrating because I'll get out to see a Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, Division Four state play, state championship games being played at home stadiums, in college stadiums, whatever. They should be highlighted and featured in the Mercedes Benz Superdome. Now, of course, all these kind of talks revolve around the fact that there's a potential and it's a slim potential of this moving over to oh boy it's moving over and you wind up having the sugar bowl no longer sponsor this event that's something that could very or all state sugar bowl thing the sugar bowl classic that could be something that happens if this isn't resolved sooner rather than later because they're not going to want to put their stamp on other things and basically have to rent out the Mercedes-Benz Superdome for two weeks because of the way things are set up. That's another big complaint I have. Is like I feel like there's just a whole ordeal with this, and they need to fix this sooner rather than later, and I believe they will before too long. Of course, we're going to take a quick timeout in a little bit because we got to talk to Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked On Saints podcast preview, the Saints-Colts. What's going on with the Saints injury reports, several players in the IR. How's it going to affect the Colts in their run game and a whole lot more? You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com.
Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. Hopefully, you're having a great Saturday as we get that much closer to a fantastic weekend of football. Obviously, Army-Navy coming up in just a little bit. But, of course, Monday Night Football is what's taking precedent here in the Acadiana area. And I think, obviously, we got to go to the Arco Equipment Hotline talk with the guy at Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked On Saints Podcast. Ross, what's going on, amigo? Hey, brother. Always happy to be here, man. Thank you, as always. I'm doing well, man. Hoping the same for you. Hey, it's going pretty well. You know, I'm, I mean, it's a lot better than Sean Payton. I'm not getting criticized out of the Whole Foods. And I'm not having to tell a guy <laughs> to worry about his freaking meat. <laughs> you know, that might be one of the funniest stories that we've heard in quite some time. <laughs> and to have that come out of Coach Payton's mouth, which is so funny because he's usually, I mean, he's always been a funnier guy, but, you know, during the season and everything, he's usually a little bit more buttoned up. He's kind of, you know, not letting stuff, uh, not letting stuff show in terms of what bothers him or, you know, kind of keeping it that way. But, uh, but this was, this was hysterical. Worry about your freaking meat. That was hysterical. It's amazing, and it's just like it makes you wonder, Ross. Like, why doesn't he have somebody just handle his own stuff? Like, you know, have a guy that goes to Whole Foods and takes care of your business because that way you don't have to deal with that. Especially like you would think after a loss, you know, this area, you know, the New Orleans area loves Saints football, and you know you're going to get a lot of criticism, especially as the head coach of the Saints. Like, you you think you'd probably with the money that he's getting paid, you'd have somebody handle your your grocery shopping, right? Yeah, it was a little weird to kind of think about Chris Payton actually going out there and doing his own grocery shop. But like you said, you know, he pushes, he calls it an aisle cart. I don't know if he calls it an aisle cart, but that's he pushes a weird his thing. buggy up and down the aisle. I know, right? He pushes his buggy up and down the aisle just like everybody else. But, uh, you know, but I will say this. I mean, this is something that we've, we've, uh, sort of observed in Coach Payton for a long time, and it's that he loves his community. Uh, he, and he loves the city of New Orleans. I mean, remember when he won the, when they won the Super Bowl in 2009, he's the guy that, took the Lombardi trophy for a stroll down the street and, uh, you know, holding out of a sunroof in the middle of the street, like just driving through city center, you know? And so, uh, he's, he's just one of those guys that's absolutely down for the city basically. And, uh, so it doesn't entirely surprise me that he and his personality uh, is the type where he's like, no, I'll go out. I'll take care of my own groceries. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm sure he's getting ready to hire somebody to take care of that after losses. Yeah, I think it's done now. <laughs> All right, from from the fun stuff to the not-so-fun stuff, Ross, I mean, obviously last week the tough loss to San Francisco, and now you lose two key guys on the defensive line, Sheldon Rankins and Marcus Davenport, double whammy, both out for the rest of the year. How big is that, especially heading into this big ball game against the Indianapolis Colts, who definitely love to run the football? Yeah, this is a big loss for the Saints, or these are big losses for the Saints, as you mentioned. Uh, it's both of these guys that are out for the rest of the season. So um, this is big. I mean, Marcus Davenport, big in the run game. He's somebody that can help you set an edge uh, and keep uh, you know, a bit of that outside run 
contained. Um, and then you've got Sheldon Rankins, who you saw immediately when he came back this season, the sort of boost that he brought to the run game. Uh, you know, the, the Saints came off of being the number one run defense in the NFL to kind of being around middle of the pack at the beginning of the year, or at least, you know, back into the top 10 a couple of times. But then once they got Sheldon Rankins back, that number really started to skyrocket for them, and that's what got them back into the kind of the top three conversation. And then you saw what happened. He played about eight snaps on Sunday against the 49ers, and then all of a sudden they're going for 162 yards. And while those two things might not necessarily correlate one-to-one in that experience or in that specific situation, it's certainly something to keep an eye out on uh, as how the Saints maintain their front and their run defense without those two guys who are pretty pivotal in that part of the game. You know, they signed Noah Spence. I think Noah Spence is more going to be somebody that is a depth guy. He'll probably dress on game day a couple of times, but I don't know that he's really going to be somebody that's going to see a huge amount of opportunities, uh, especially when you look at his, you look over his seven and a half sacks that he has in his career. Most of them come off of being playing in a rotational role, but he's a good signing for the Saints. And they also bring in uh, T.Y. McGill, somebody that not a lot of folks know a lot about. He's played on a ton of teams over the last few years, came into the league in 2015. Uh, he had a three sack year, uh, I think the first year that he was in, but not a ton there. But the Saints are still very equipped on their defensive line. You know, I mean, they lose two guys, but they've been dressing eight every game, so you'll probably see Carl Granderson come back in. And then I'm also interested to see if Taylor Stallworth ends up getting the bump up if T.Y. McGill doesn't really fit the mold. Let's talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints considered in the Locked on Saints podcast. And, you know, we get looking at who's going to have to fill that role. I think, obviously, the, the first two names to pop off at the top of my head is Trey Hendrickson and a first ballot Hall of Famer, Shy Tuttle. Right, right. <laughs> so, absolutely. And I think that that's, that's, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, you, there were a lot of people that were having the conversation before the season began, should Trey Hendrickson be starting, starting over Marcus Davenport? I think Marcus Davenport proved everyone that that was the incorrect mentality. But now you have an opportunity for Trey Hendrickson to come in who has shown that he can get after the passer. The big thing for Trey Hendrickson is that the big onus becomes staying healthy for him as well because he's dealt with some injury issues. We've seen it over and over again. We've seen it earlier this season as well. But he's somebody that makes the most sense. He's somebody that comes in and is more of your your guy, your complement opposite Cam Jordan as your pass rusher, your every-down pass rusher. Uh, he's a little weaker against the run game than Marcus Davenport is, but you have some other guys that you can rotate into that position like Mario Edwards Jr. that can play both inside and out that can help you in the run game depending on what you believe is the appropriate situation to prepare for. Then you look in the interior, I think Shy Tuttle does. I mean, Shy Tuttle's absolutely the guy that gets the opportunity there. He plays nose tackle and three-tech, so he's somebody that can do exactly what Sheldon Rankins has done for you. He's played very well this season, but you've also still got Mario Edwards Jr. that can play in the middle, David Onyemata and Malcolm Brown. So Saints aren't entirely uh, aren't entirely in a place where they, they're abandoned here uh, without these two guys. They still have some really good names and some really good players to fill in those roles. And it's always weird to see Drew Brees' name pop up in the injury reports, and yesterday his popped up more about a right elbow injury, which we kind of noticed on that final drive it looked like maybe drew Brees was holding his arm but he said it's okay but it's weird to see somebody listed on the injury report but also be full practice right yeah i think that what that was 
Uh, honestly, I think they didn't have him listed on the injury report the first day because he was still participating and he was there, but they did have the sleeve on, and so they ended up not reporting the injury. And then when it became public that the sleeve was there, maybe they felt uh, we should probably put him on the injury report. So they put him on as full, or potentially they missed putting him on as limited, quote-unquote, uh, for Thursday. I think maybe something weird happened with the injury report and a lack of of, um, of reporting. Uh, on that Thursday, so they needed to list him on Friday so that they didn't face any fines or trouble there. Because if you have an injury, you're required to report it, uh, unless it's something that people are playing through. I mean, there's always, you know, my knee hurts, my ankle hurts. It's not that kind of a thing. But if somebody is wearing uh, something that is cosmetically helping them, or not cosmetic, but is cosmetic and also uh, medically helping them get through an injury, you have to report that. So I think that that was part of a sort of retroactive reporting for them. Before we move ahead to the Colts game, I think we need to just take a look back at that 49ers game. Did you agree with the two-point conversion calls? Um, as, as in, so, okay, so let's go back to the first two-point conversion. I understand why they went for it, the idea being that usually you have to go for it on the two. You get the penalty on Jared Cook that knocked him out of the game with a concussion. He's practiced full, by the way, so he looks like he's on his way back on Monday, so that's great news for the Saints. Uh, but you get it on the one and then you get an opportunity there. So I don't blame, I don't, I don't mind the idea of going for two there. The play call, however, was a little questionable to me. You know that you have a guy like Latavius Murray that's getting you yards and yards and yards up the middle throughout these last few games. You could put him in. You've also got Mario Edwards Jr. in there that you're trying to use as a bit of a bait. But then you have Taysom Hill out on the, out on the field and you get a good feeling that the fall, that the ball is going to go to him. Uh, and then, you know, even the play call itself ended up suffering only because the 49ers were misaligned. They had a safety on the wrong side of the ball and actually put him in better position to overload the corner there and beat Taysom Hill to the corner. So I'm not a huge fan of the play call, but I didn't mind the idea of them going for two. I, I get the game situation. They had a play that they felt like they liked. They probably saw something on tape from the 49ers, so that's what they wanted to take a look at. Uh, and then at the end, going for two, you kind of had to. I understand that. Uh, but had they not gone for two at the beginning and just taken the – the extra point there, taking the points, then you know you're looking at, a, at a, an extra point at the end of the game to tie it. So it's a little bit easier in hindsight to look at it and say that was the wrong choice. But in the moment, I understand why it was there. You know, you're 50 percent closer than you usually are, and you have something drawn up that you feel like you like, and so you take try to take advantage of that. And what looked like it was already going to be a high scoring game at that point. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints considered on Locked On Saints podcast, and you know, obviously we need to look over at the Indianapolis Colts Monday Night Football matchup. Obviously, a lot of thoughts about the Super Bowl 44, 10, almost 10 years to the date these two teams faced off, and obviously we, we knew what happened. Everybody's been talking about that, but I want to kind of get your thoughts on this Colts team now, Jacoby Brissett. The team kind of has like outperformed like expectations because obviously beginning of the year you have Andrew Luck, then he retires before the season starts, and you got Jacoby Brissett, Marlon Mack, kind of helping get this team at least somewhat like relevant in the AFC South. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a team that you thought was going to be down for the count. Once Andrew Luck surprisingly retired, this is a game that looks way different than it looked when we talked uh, months and months ago about the schedule. We kind of looked at this Monday night game, week 15, and went, that's going to be you know, a potential Super Bowl preview right there because of how well the Colts are playing uh, at the end of last year. And, of course, the Saints had Super Bowl expectations coming into the season. And so this is a lot different uh, than what was expected, but still a very good game and certainly an important game uh, for New Orleans. But, you know, the Colts, definitely a team that people probably thought were just going to lay down and kind of call it quits uh, early with the way that that went. And certainly they fought their way back. They won their first five. They won five of their first seven, but now they are at a point where they've lost five of their last six. 
Jacoby Brissett injured for uh, a couple of those or playing either injured and missing or injured and playing through an injury for a couple of those toward the middle of the season. Uh, but this is definitely a team that's, like you said, outperformed expectations. However, they're still very middle of the pack. But the thing about them is that they are, they have the right, uh, where, where they perform very well is the right place to perform very well. And that's in the trenches. They have a fantastic offensive line one of the best in the NFL. They've allowed only 25 sacks so far this season, so they're not far separated for the Saint, from the Saints from the 20 sacks that they've allowed. They have a great run offense, uh, sixth in the league, and they have a fantastic run defense as well that's among the top in the league. Everything else, they kind of fall middle of the pack. The turnover differential is even zero. They've turned the ball over just as many times as they take it away, uh, and then everything else kind of falls middle of the pack or in the bottom or in the high 20s for them in terms of how they rank around the NFL. So they're an interesting team in that way, but where it is that they excel is a really important aspect, especially when you're playing on the road, because that run game travels, your offensive line travels, and run defense travels. So that's exactly what you want for that team. Do we cheer for the Falcons tomorrow? You can. Um, it's, it, I'll be honest, it, it might it doesn't really matter um, if the if, if the Falcons win. That certainly helps the Saints in in the 49ers losing. But the most important game that you're really looking for is that Seattle versus San Francisco game because Seattle's already dropped the game. So if so, with Seattle having lost the game, if the Falcons beat the 49ers, but then the 49ers turn around Week 17 and beat the uh, beat Seattle, they still get a better seating than the Saints, and it keeps the Saints at best at number two, which isn't entirely terrible. Uh, because there's a scenario that plays out there that's actually really nice. If, let's say, San Francisco were to move up and play, uh, I'm sorry, if uh, Seattle were to move up and play San Francisco in the divisional round and beat San Francisco, then the Saints still host host their um, NFC Championship game. So it's not entirely terrible, uh, but this game against the between the Falcons and the 49ers, you can just kind of pick whichever team you hate the most and then root against them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot, Ross. Thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, my brother. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. All right, that was Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, wrap things up in a nice little bow, one last take, and it's all about the Pelicans. We'll wrap things up next on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com, the only game in town. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com, live from the 237 Roof Studios. As always, hopefully, you're getting ready to wrap up, get your Saturday morning kickstarted off right, and your weekend as well, because we got a lot of things that we need to get into. And I think it's safe to say my one last take, it's not going to be as much kind of like what we heard in the past, some of the other like hot takes I've given out. It's definitely going to be something I think that needs to be said over and over again. But I'm going to just say it one last time, and it's conveniently time for one last take. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. 
And now it's time for the real fun part of my show. It is time to talk the New Orleans Pelicans and the dumpster fire that it is. 11 straight losses last night with another one to the Philadelphia 76ers. They just keep racking up losses. And it's time, it's past time to get rid of Alvin Gentry. You heard me right, folks. Alvin Gentry has got to go. The man has been an absolute jamoke with the New Orleans Pelicans pretty much since he set foot because it felt like things were possible. Things were looking up for the franchise, but it's been the same old censored for radio. It's been the same thing every single day for the Pelicans. They keep losing without Zion Williamson. And maybe, just maybe, things would have been a little bit better. But guess what? They should have gotten rid of Alvin Gentry before the season even started, during the offseason, because of the fact that you had David Griffin. David Griffin has given him his chance. Now, it's time to hit the bricks, pal. Things aren't changing. It's time to figure out why this team's problems are arising. The biggest reason in my mind is, without a doubt, the fact, the sheer fact, that he wants to continue to run this team into the ground, that pace of play, the pace. They're towards the top of the leagues most years, but I don't like the idea of the pace of play type conversation that we keep hearing with the New Orleans Pelicans. It's time to realize that doesn't work with these guys. I'd much rather a guy that's willing to fit his team around what you like. That's my biggest thing is we continue, we continue to hear about how the Pelicans play fast and that works for the young guys. I think that the young guys who aren't necessarily well equipped in that aspect. Look at Zion Williamson. Look at that big boy. He's not going to work well with that. I feel like he wouldn't last an 82 game slate if Gentry remains that coach. My thought process is. They should have gotten rid of him like when they about the same time they got rid of AD. Because guess what? You know it's time to kind of rebuild everything around you. I don't want this franchise to have another opportunity to do some great things and get burnt again. You got burnt with Monty Williams in the AD era. Chris Paul back in the gap. And now we're sitting here. Alvin Gentry could be very well wasting lots of talent like Drew Holiday. Like... Jackson Hayes, and more importantly, like Zion Williamson, they have every opportunity to set themselves up for a lot of success in the next couple of years. But under the Alvin Gentry system, they're going to be sitting there every year around April and May at home watching the NBA playoffs instead of participating in them. And who knows, they might be stuck in that draft lottery limbo for quite some time with or without actually tanking. And that's about all I got for my final take here on Under the Dome. And hopefully that was hot enough for you. Because I'm absolutely just upset about the fact that we're seeing Alvin Gentry waste this talent. There is so much talent around the New Orleans Pelicans. And we're sitting here wondering what might have been if Alvin Gentry, if Zion Williamson was able to play. We keep thinking about what might have been. And we're never going to get to where we need to be. Alvin Gentry's not a has-been. He was a never-was and get him off my team. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Ross Jackson, Jacques Doucet. Wish I could have had on Bill Wagner. Is what it is. Talk to him during the break. And we're going to try and get him on down the road. Thanks again once again. Everybody coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. You've been listening to Under the Dome 
with CD on 103.7 The Game, the only game in town. Show it on. Oh, yeah. Kick it. Live from the 237 Roof Studios in 